Welcome to the Unproblematic Podcast. I'm Kaylee. And I'm Ariana. And we are two 20-something Midwest friends who have a lot to say. This podcast talks about life, college, travel, feminism, social justice, relationships, and of course, literature and writing. Come join us on our podcasting journey. In this installment of Unproblematic, Kaylee and I will be discussing the importance of Black History Month and figures who've inspired and impacted our lives. So for the week recap of our current reads, uh, I am reading The Girl Who Smiled Beads by Clementine Wamaria. And I am reading P.S. I Still Love You, which is a lot lighter than the book that she is reading. I am reading that because (laughs) the new movie came out on Netflix and you know I had to watch it. So my roommates and I watched it and it was not as good as the first one. But you know what? (laughs) I I, I read the book, so I was going to see the movie. Yeah, just a little lighter than Rwandan genocide. Yeah, just, that's what, just a little. The Girl Who Smiled Beads is about a survivor of the Rwandan genocide that happened in the 1990s. And um, it flashes back and forth between her life in Chicago when she moved to the United States and to her life in Rwanda. She was really young when she was uh, being relocated all over Rwanda and Zaire. And so she has a really great storytelling voice. So I'm really enjoying the book so far. And it's opened my eyes in a lot of ways. Oh, it sounds good. I really do want to read it. But um, going into our next segment, which is quotes of the week, since we're going to be talking about Black History Month, it is only right that I give a quote by black people. So the first quote that I am doing is by Maya Angelou, and it is bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave. I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I rise, I rise, I rise. This quote spoke to me as a black woman because all of our obstacles that our ancestors and family members have endured. My family has invested too much time and effort into me for me to ever give less than my best or to be average or to give up. I rise, I rise, I rise. Yeah, I really like that quote. It reminds me of um, when we went to Ghana too and we went to the slave castle and um, Sebastian said, everyone who's walking through that door is the fulfillment of all of your ancestors' dreams. And yeah. Yeah, that was a cool moment. Um, So the quote that I picked, because I'm a white person, and so the quote that I picked is by Angela Davis, and it is, in a racist society, it is not enough to be not racist. We must be anti-racist. Because I think it's really important to keep that in mind, because like the way I picture it, if, if you have a scale and you already have a boulder on one side, If you drop the same amount of pebbles in both sides, it's not going to make it equal, right? So, like, people say, like, oh, affirmative action isn't equal, or different, like, factors like that aren't equal. But if you take the broad view, it's not nearly enough. Like, it's not even close to the reparations that would be necessary to really provide that kind of equality. It's not even that you need equality. We need fairness. Right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, it doesn't. That's pretty much what you were saying. So no, it's so true. And like, and I guess the the difference I I would think between equality and fairness too is like like people almost have this negative connotation of equality of like well people will never be equal because we're so different. And I guess there's some kind of merit to that argument, but but fairness is like you can't set a group of people back in so many different ways and then just expect like like allowing them to go to a college or to go or to ha- apply for this job like just like letting 
it be okay on paper is automatically going to fix everything. You know, that I mean, that's fairness. You have to at least look at the ways that that systemic racism is still a part of our country. And you can't move forward without addressing the past. Yeah. That's one thing for sure. And acknowledging it. And, like, it blows my mind how many people will not acknowledge that systemic racism exists. And it, like, like it's not something that is, like, up for debate. It's something that studies show is true. Like, it exists. It, it's so, you can see it everywhere. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. It's real. Like, it, and it doesn't matter if you as a white person have experienced poverty or have experienced, like, other things like that. It doesn't take away from the experiences of other people. It just means and, that it didn't occur because of the color of your skin. We're not saying that you can't go through hard and difficult things. It's just that those hard and difficult things did not occur because the color of your skin. So, yeah. I- so why are we talking about black history? Black history is American history, and schools in the United States do not talk about it enough. American history is not just about white people. This country was built on the backs of blacks. It is only right that we address and give credit where credit is due. The only people you hear about are Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and Rosa Parks. We wanted to share some info on other black people. Black history is American history, and it needs to be addressed. Black history icons and their impact. Ida B. Wells is an icon. She was born in 1862 and later died in 1931. She was born a slave but later freed through the Emancipation Proclamation. One event that changed her life forever was when she had bought a first-class ticket for a train ride. While she was on the train ride, she was asked by the train crew to move back to the section where the African-Americans sat. Since she had bought a first-class ticket, she was expecting a first-class seat. So, of course, the strong Ida B. Wells stood her ground and told them that she was not moving. She was forced off of the train, which she had later sued that railroad company. But this, even though she won $500 through the settlement, she, the Tennessee Supreme Court later overturned that decision. But this event did change her life forever because it motivated her to become an activist and a writer. So she wrote for many black newspapers and she advocated for anti-lynching. And one event that motivated her for this, that gave her a fire in her belly, was when one of her um, local friends and two other men had owned a local um, shop. The black men were being harassed by white citizens, um, so the men, of course, stood their ground. This resulted in them being put in jail, and while they were in jail, they were not protected, and a white mob came and lynched them. Um, Ida B. Wells is an icon, and she inspires me to stand up for what is right and to also be a civil rights attorney because there are so many people who the system just does not listen to or overlooks and we need to you know stand up for our own people for our next icon that we're going to talk about for black history month is zora neale hurston she was born in 1891 and she died in 1960 she's one of my favorite writers so i'm so excited to be talking about her she 
Yes, she's a she's a world favorite. She's really just amazing. She's a novelist, filmmaker, short story writer, anthropologist. Um, the anthro the anthropologist aspect of her career and the ethnographer was really interesting to me because I hadn't heard about this until I was preparing for this podcast. And she actually published a lot of research on hoodoo, which is a folk magic that developed as an Americanized. Um, West African tradition. It was practiced by a lot of slaves in the South, and it was a way of um, like unifying and creating a sense of identity. Uh, so that was really interesting to me that she was also an anthropologist and an ethnographer, as well as a an amazing novelist and filmmaker. Um, she actually wrote a book with um, Langston Hughes as well, um, and her book Mules and Men is about African-American folklore in North Florida. So that kind of plays on a lot of her research as an ethnographer as well. Uh, she was a central figure of the Harlem Renaissance, which was a big movement in Manhattan where a lot of um, black artists were really coming to the forefront and really having uh, a lot of fame. And so there was a big, what would you call that? Like an intellectual uh, positive externality almost where there was a lot of art coming together and so a lot of mutual creativity but probably her most famous novel is their eyes were watching god which is really really good i highly recommend that you read it her her novels are like poetry she has a really great way of describing things and drawing you in and making you curious as to what's going to happen to her characters um, one of my favorite quotes from Zora Neale Hurston is, Sometimes I feel discriminated against, but it does not make me angry. It merely astonishes me that someone could deny themselves of the pleasure of my company. It is beyond me. And honestly, like, I feel like Zora and I are friends because she just has <laughs> this sass to her. And that quote spoke to me because, like, you know what? I just don't understand why people are racist and hate other people. Like, it just... Are you that limited like, of a person? It, you're it missing is, out. It's yeah. beyond me, is all I can say. <laughs> Our next icon is George Washington Carver, who was born in 1864 and later died in 1934. He was born a slave in Missouri, but he later earned his master's degree from Iowa State. He then taught and researched at Tuskegee Institute, which is now known as Tuskegee University, which is a historically black college slash university. And while he was there at Tuskegee University, he worked with Booker T. Washington, who founded the university, um, and he researched um, agriculture, and he was also an, an inventor while he was at the school. But while he was doing his research throughout his life, he discovered alternative uses to peanuts. But one myth that is spreading around is that he invented peanut butter. That is not true. He did not invent peanut butter. I wish he did. But he did find alternative uses for peanut butter. But the reason that I wanted to talk about him was because before him, you never really heard about... Um, black men in science and I think that he is very overlooked but he did so much um and that is why I want to talk about George Washington Carver next is Langston Hughes he was born in 1902 and he died in 1967 he was a poet social activist novelist playwright there's kind of a theme with me. I really like poets and playwrights and novelists, so those are the ones I tend to pick. But he was a pioneer in a lot of ways. He pioneered jazz poetry, um, 
and he was also a uh, leader in the Harlem Renaissance. He and Zora were actually really close. They wrote a play together called Mulebone, and um, he uh, he instituted or in, he didn't institute, but he innovated jazz poetry a lot. And what a lot of people don't know is jazz poetry is kind of the origin of a lot of different kinds of poetry today. It inspired the beat generation, which was like Allen Ginsberg and Peter Orlovsky. I think I'm saying Orvinsky, Orvinsky, um, <laughs> and uh, Jack Kerouac. So writers like that. But then it also became kind of the the springboard for poetry slams as we know them today. Which a lot of the poetry slams I've been to are kind of non traditional in that you like you bring something prepared and then you read it. But I think a lot of them have a lot more of like a uh, spontaneous element to them as well. So a lot of poetry slams were actually inspired by jazz poetry, which is what Langston Hughes um, was an innovator of. Um, he was published in The Crisis, which was the official magazine for the national advancement of colored people. And he wrote a lot of short stories, like looking through his uh, his works, he, he has written so much. It was kind of incredible. Uh, some of the short story collections that he's best known for are Not Without Laughter and The Ways of White Folks. So definitely good reads, definitely to be put on your to-be-read list. Our next icon is Madame C.J. Walker. Madame C.J. Walker was born in 1867 and died in 1919. One amazing thing about this lady was that she was the first black woman millionaire and she did this by creating a hair product industry uh she's truly an icon um and one reason that this is so important is because for black women hair tells a story and you can show your personality through it and again tell stories And the reason that she discovered these hair products was actually because she noticed that she was experiencing hair loss. Um, So she wanted to create a product because she did not see one out on the market that was designated, designated for her. And one thing I like about this entrepreneur is that she used her money for good. She... Ad, she was an advocate. She advocated for anti-lynching and she donated money, um, a lot of money towards the NAACP and the YMCA. And she also showed us that um, black women can do anything as long as they put their mind to it. And she just found, she was a true problem solver. She founded, she found a problem and she found a solution to it. And the solution ended up making her millions and millions of dollars and that was way more back then too yeah exactly like in the 18 1900s a million dollars was insane like and i just i really want to know like how she must have felt to be the first black woman millionaire right and kind of the social implications of that too because like back then that was so rare like how would she have been treated how she probably mm-hmm. could have seen a huge shift in behavior towards her when people found out who she was and how much money she had i mean you can kind of see that now like subtle shifts with like if someone realizes that someone else has money or class or something mm-hmm. and there's there's some kind of materialistic reason to respect them more but with her she probably saw that so clearly and just brazenly so often you know because there was so much overt prejudice back then and I mean, there still is now, but even more so in the 1800s. And then for her to have that kind of power 
Like, she mm-hmm. probably saw that in her social circles a lot. Yeah, I just, wow. She's a strong woman and very innovative and smart. And yeah. I don't know, it just kind of makes you think, like, when you, just because you don't see it, if you don't see it, you need to create it for yourself. Um, if you don't see a story being told that you want to see, write it yourself. Um, and you know what? She's very inspiring. So this is someone who, um, like, obviously you respect all of these people a ton, but this is someone who is just daunting with his reputation and his career and the sheer amount of work that he did in his life. Uh, Thurgood Marshall, he was our first black Supreme Court justice in the United States. He was born in 1908 and he died in 1993. He was a litigator before he was a justice. And so he argued in front of the Supreme Court. Um, And this is just amazing, like absolutely astounding to me. He argued 32 cases in front of the Supreme Court, which if you talk to any lawyer, arguing one case in front of the Supreme Court is the highlight, the pinnacle of your career. It's it's a big deal. (laughs) And it's especially a big deal because he was black and there were so many people during this time who were not in high positions like that. Right, right. And at that time, he was standing in front of nine white men who had, for the most part, very conservative views, and he was able to sway them and to get them to see his side of the argument. He won 29 out of 32 cases argued in front of the Supreme Court. That is just insane. That is a big deal. Like, what? I mean, wow. Like... You you just can't fathom that that intellect that mind that and and that persuasive ability that was able that was able to make that argument for him, um, and of course his case that is probably the most famous for him and then also probably the most famous Supreme Court case in U.S. Overall. history like most yeah. people would know this one is Brown versus Board of Education um, of Topeka. Uh, and that overturned the separate but equal clause, which was in Plessy versus Ferguson. And this was the case that started desegregation in public schools. And this is the one that everyone talks about. I mean, I feel like everyone has heard of this case. And he argued it in front of the Supreme Court, and he won. He won! Like, I I just love that. I love it when good things happen to good people because they, they win it and they earn it. You know, it's just... It makes me so happy. But you still see this change today. Like, schools are desegregated. And, like, without that, we would not be sitting here together talking on a podcast. Like, he, Thurgood Marshall, changed this country. Like, just look around. It's, I'm at a loss for words. Yeah. And he founded the um, National Advancement of Colored People Legal Defense an educational fund. Yes. I mean, that he did so much. And, and he didn't just argue in front of the Supreme Court. He argued in, like, circuit court cases and district court cases for um, different people. And, of course, he would do it all pro bono because these people that he would defend would have nothing. They would have been put in jail for BS reasons or sometimes maybe one somewhat legitimate reason, but, like, the jury was all white, so it wasn't a fair case. Mm-hmm. And um, he would have these cases for free and he would just work so diligently at defending them and to me that is that is so what 
America should be. Like, I don't want to get too cheesy or idealistic, but just, like, like men like that restore my faith in humanity because, mm-hmm. like, like, that's what the American identity should be. It shouldn't be this, um, this hatred towards people groups or other countries because we are, we're a melting pot of people and cultures and we have a pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. So we should celebrate that when we see someone who fights so diligently for something he believes in. And yeah, I just love Thurgood Marshall. And the movie Marshall is also really good. It details one of these cases that he defended. Um, So if you have a chance, definitely go watch that. It's really good. So we're going to end this podcast off with a quote from our girl, Ida B. Wells. So the way to right wrongs is to turn the light to the truth upon them. And this just shows that we need to stand up for what is right and continue to share with others. When you hear people spewing out hate, you need to correct them. Um, Sitting and just watching is not going to create change. And Change can be uncomfortable, but it is so worth it in the end. Um, when you see injustice, address it. Um, if, you were, if you're not going to be an advocate, who will? So stop thinking that someone else will do it and do the hard things yourself. We need to address systematic racism and injustice. Yeah, it's so important that we call it out when we see it because you can always make an excuse for not saying something or not doing something, but... It's and it's especially hard, I think, when it's your friends or family members who are the culprits and because you don't want them to think poorly of you. But but change happens when people that you love call you out on things. Change doesn't happen when you have someone preaching at you that you don't know. Like you could have the best NPR podcast or the best New Yorker podcast about equality and diversity and all those things. But people aren't going to read them, you know, like change happens when, when people who care communicate that well in a loving and wholesome way to other people, you know, so it's important that you address hate when you see it within your friends and family. Yes, but even people who aren't your friends and family, and like, (laughs) I actually have an example, like, um, this was a while ago, but when I was in high school, I had um, a racially charged incident, and I didn't want to at the time, but I did have to go and address it with the school district. But I didn't think that anyone was paying attention to my actions. But um, last year, I actually did get a DM from a girl who went to my high school. And she was like, hey, like, I have this book to recommend to you. But like, by the way, like, I know, like, you had like a pretty crappy senior year. But like, what you did, I commend you for standing up for what you believe in and standing up to hate and racism. And I was just like, it made my day because like, I was really going through it. But then like, you got to stand up for yourself and advocate for yourself. And again, if you aren't going to do it, who is? Right. I like that. I, I don't know. I like that because you said standing up for yourself, standing up for what you believe in. Because standing up for what you believe in makes it sound like you have an option. Like if, if you're defending yourself, you really don't have an option. You know, like it's terrible you were in that situation in the first place. So, it you know, it's, I don't know. Like there's a lot at stake here still today. It's the safety of people. It's the ability of them to be able to learn, you know, like you may not think it's a lot yourself, but little comments can build up and make someone feel like they're not in a good environment. And that can, it it adds up over time. Mm -hmm. You need to create a safe space for all people. Um, 
And again, I don't know how many times I can reiterate this, but if you don't do it, who will? Yeah. And that's where we want to end our podcast off. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope that you tune into our next episode. Bye.